You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. All right, everybody. It's Blaine here. I'm super excited about this show today. I'm, uh, I've got one of my really close friends and business partner in the book world, Mr. Jay Nichols. Um, if you don't know him, he's he's. I would say he's probably the superstar behind the scenes, uh, making all all us fly tires, fly anglers that write books and articles uh, look good. Um, I wrote my book with crayons, and Jay could attest to that. So um, Jay has worked with uh, some of the best fly anglers in the world, including the iconic Lefty Cray, Bob Popovics, Bob Clouser. That's just so many there. I could. We're going to talk all about that here soon. Um, but Jay, Jay's been in the industry for a very long time. He, uh, he was the editor for Fly Fisherman Magazine for a long time, um, and then he – Stopped doing that and went to work with Stackpole Books. And Jay, he could obviously uh, comment on this anytime if I screw it up. But Jay also has his own publishing company called Headwater Books. And that's where my book came from because it took me seven or eight, ten years to write my first book <laughs> with Jay. But um, uh, I want everybody to, to, to meet him and know who he is. If you don't know who he is, um, he, uh, he's also an amazing photographer. Um, and he's taught me so much about writing. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a great writer, but Jay's a great editor and, um, he makes, like I said, makes us all look good. And I want to just talk about his journey through the fly fishing ranks and considered the best editor in the business for sure. And, um, anybody that gets the pleasure to work with Jay knows that, uh, when you do a project with Jay, it's going to be the best thing out there, period. Um, and, We'll talk about stories about how I got connected with Jay over the years with Jay, with uh, Lefty and um, my book contract <laughs> that got separated uh, in from Stackpole into Headwater Books because of the the time period and all that stuff too. But there's a lot of things that I, every time I see Jay and we and we spend a lot of time together, I, I'm always surprised at something else he tells me about himself. And so I want to I want to kind of start off talking about you know his journey into into fishing world, but also um, his his journey into fishing in general. And I want to talk a little bit about his writing background and all that kind of stuff as well. And then kind of go under the really cool stuff of, you know, all the amazing articles and places he's been and, and all the, you know, iconic figures that he's worked with. So um, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Jay Nichols. Hey, Jay, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. I finally yeah. got a day off the water. Um, <laughs> been been on the road a little bit, just trying to trying to stay on the tracks and driving the struggle bus as always. You know. So, yeah, <laughs> I know you know yeah, how I, that goes. <laughs> I I hear that it's kind it's kind of uh, cold out to be musky fishing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, today it's not, but it has been the past couple of weeks. It's been brutal, but yeah. Thankfully, I was at a show um, up in Rhode Island um it's saltwater edge and that was that was a really nice break um of course it was a mess getting there of course nothing's ever easy but it's 
you say anything that's uh, easy in life's not worth it, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's the family? They're great, man. They're they're really good. How about you? You got a new addition? Uh, that yet? So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, everybody's doing well, and uh, I'm getting ready here to leave for the Edison show uh, this afternoon. So, looking forward to that a lot. Good. Yeah, you going with Ross and Fly Fisherman? Yeah, we're gonna hit hit a ride with with Ross, Dennis, Ben Hoffman, the uh, Fly Fisherman crew, and just go to the show for Friday, which is really the best day to be there anyway. Um, and uh, really, really looking forward to it this this year. It's it's feel like everything is back on track and good opportunity to connect with people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's the one thing I miss about it. The other, you know, it's just a, it's a grind though, the shows. Um, I found that these smaller events for me have been a, a big deal. You know, it's, it's more personable and, and all. It just makes you wonder about the whole show platform and if that's changing or not. But I mean, it's kind of, you've been in it as long as I have. I mean, how long have you been in the fish fly fishing industry now? Uh since about 2000, I, I guess, um, we can talk about that a little bit, but, um, I didn't do anything, you know, professionally, um, until about 2000, 2001 in the fly fishing business. Yeah. I, I do want to, I do want to talk a little bit about your history though. I mean, I, it's kind of, it's, I find it very interesting how do you, how you, anybody ends up in the fishing industry, especially the fly world. I mean, um, I know you went to the university of Connecticut, correct? I did. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I took me about four, four and a half years, but, uh, graduated in, in just December of, of, um, December of 95 and, you know, the worked a little bit for a couple of months at home. I grew up in the Northwest corner of Connecticut. So worked for a few months, tried to save up some money and, and then moved out to Missoula, Montana. Uh, in June of, of 96 and pretty much worked a bunch of <laughs> odd jobs. And, you know, I was, I was looking back through some of my employment history from, from those days and, you know, working for five fifty an hour, $6 an hour, um, you know, working a bunch of jobs, whether it was, you know, cutting salmon or cutting halibut for the local, you know, seafood counter at the, at Bilo uh, grocery store or, um, I worked in the meat department, cleaning up the meat department at the end of the day, uh, you know, stripping hardwood floors, doing all sorts of, uh, you know, odd, odd jobs um, collectively to be able to make it work out there. You know, and in Missoula, they I guess for Bozeman, too, and, and places like that, they talk about how there's a there's a scenery tax and, and it's it's, you know, you, it's it's sort of what you have to. What you have to pay to be able to live in a, in a place like that, um, and uh, I wouldn't have traded that experience for all the world. But it was it was a tough go. I feel like you had to work so many jobs to be able to you know afford to live out there that you didn't really have a ton of time to be able to enjoy um, where where you were because you were working so much. Or at least that was my my situation. What what made you decide to go out there? Were you already into fishing, or were you? Uh, I mean, just wanted to see the montana and its beauty or what was what was it were you were you always an angler um i don't know that we've ever even talked about that all the hours and thousands of hours we spent together <laughs> yeah no we i don't think we really have talked about it you know oftentimes you're on the other end and i'm 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 grilling you <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna enjoy this by the way <laughs> <laughs> 
but um you know i i grew up i grew up fishing you know like like a lot of a lot of kids you know in the in the late 70s early early 80s i grew up in the northwest corner of connecticut which is a very rural part of of connecticut um i grew up uh, near the housatonic river so we would spend a lot of time exploring exploring that river bait fishing spin fishing um it was really a magical place to 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 grow up and of course back then you would just spend all day outside, you know. I mean, you know how it was. Um, and and really, the river was where we would we'd spend a heck of a lot of time. Um, I didn't. My my dad, uh, you know, fished, trapped, ran a trap line, um, hunted quite a bit. Um, he did most of that before I was born, but um, he also dealt in used fishing and hunting equipment and stuff. So. So growing up, um, he was always really good about, um, you know, sharing all that tackle, um, you know, with me and all these, you know, interesting finds that he would have. And later on, it was fly rods and really cool bamboo rods and stuff like that that he would generously um, pass on and, and and let me use. But but he really, um, with all the different old books and stuff that he would buy and sell, um, I had a lot of exposure to that type of stuff growing up when I was, when I was young. So just read, read voraciously, um, read all of those fur fishing game, you know, uh, magazines, read, read, uh, you know, sports, Afield, field, outdoor life, all of those, but then also all of the, you know, the, the old fishing books, you know, had, had those as sort of my own library growing up. So, so that was um, early on it instilled, in me an appreciation for the history of the sport i didn't really begin fly fishing until until later um you know even after high school i guess it was maybe the summer before i went away to college um and that was probably i'd have to look at the dates but um probably coincided with the whole river runs through it phenomenon um and uh you know my dad was really supportive of that and giving me you know, fly rods and flies and stuff like that. Um, and so that's, that's around the time that I really got into fly fishing. Um, there was a fella in a, in a town upriver of the, the Housatonic River where I lived um, in the town of Housatonic, Mass, Chris Windrum. Um, Chris had a business back then, a guiding and a fly tying business. I think it was called Tight Lines. Yeah. fly fishing or tight lines or something this was back in the day uh now he runs saltwaterflies.com yep. yep um he's been in the he's been in the business for a very long time he had an ad in the paper um advertising fly tying lessons and and i uh saw that ad one day and i called him up and and uh, asked him to asked him to teach me and i drove up there and we had a couple lessons that i paid for um but shortly after that, you know, I was on a budget back then. Shortly after that, I asked if maybe I could tie flies for him commercially. Um, and uh, he graciously allowed me to do that in exchange for lessons. And so um, back then I started tying flies for him. And this was all through college. Uh, and then even later in graduate school at the University of Montana, um, he would uh, give me fly orders. And that really helped me stay afloat through all those years. Tying a lot of cat, traditional Catskill dry flies and stuff. I, now I'm smart enough to know that that's, those are the kind of flies that um, commercial fly tires, you know, they lose money on. Um, but I, I was 
I was, uh, I was, uh, grateful for the work. And, um, I just remember, uh, there was a book, AK Best's production fly tying. I'm not sure if you remember that book. Um, oh yeah. I remember. Like, Definitely. That was my Bible, uh, learning how to tie trout flies. I was obsessed with, with that book. It really was the first time I think that an author, you know, AK kind of laid out the keys to the kingdom and how to, how to set up your, your tying station for production, you know, how to, pre-measure all your materials and everything and he talked about proportions and and uh, so I was I was fascinated by all that stuff and 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 back then Chris um really helped me understand proper proportions both for you know trout flies but also for things like clouser minnows and stuff like that that I would tie for him um and he was really a wealth of information back then and he he took me under his wing uh, and it was really the first time that I was introduced to, to like a real fly fisher, you know what I mean? And, and part of that community up until that point, I was kind of doing it all on my, on my own and struggling through it. I know you had a similar moment with kind of meeting Harry Steves and, and those guys, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, uh, Harry Steves and Steve Honor were a huge, uh, that was a game changing moment in my life. You know, I mean, that, no puns intended but i mean it is i mean it's uh I, I think we all need someone you know and that's something we could get into that's another story in itself where we could get into how important it is for those that are in the business to mentor people and i mean i know you know we were both very close to lefty and that was what he was all about you know um and it it helps i mean there you know it's you get into this business and you don't know where to go. You know what I mean? I was just flopping around and fell into the right hands. You know, <laughs> that's pretty much how it happened to me. Um, and, but I find it fascinating listening to, to uh, the beginning of your career here, because I mean, it took someone like that to help kind of pique your interest and in, which I'm pretty sure you're going to tell me that that was kind of a stepping stone to moving into the fishing world. But, and for you, it was, editing and writing and photography um so uh how many years did you spend in montana were you and i think you went to alaska too right did, and i want to talk a little bit about that um yeah sure so just you're absolutely right i i guess you know the, I, I was thinking a little bit about it you know yesterday um you know meeting chris uh and i i really haven't given him enough uh enough credit was that pivotal moment for me where use not that I had any dreams or desires to to you know get in and work in the fly fishing industry at the time but just meeting somebody who not only could could teach you practical information about you know how to fish and how to tie flies but but to meet somebody who got it um you know Chris was one of the most at the time and still is today many people who who know him will say the same thing you know um really encapsulates the soul of fly fishing, you know, uh, and has a deep respect for um, the history and the traditions. And, and so to be able to meet somebody like that early on, um, who can, who can, you know, and, and, and be taken under his, his wing and shown the ropes was just, you know, as I look back, was an amazing opportunity. And, and he took me to my first fly fishing show. I was thinking about that. We were, I, uh, he hired me, you know, to come along and work his booth for the weekend at, I believe it was the Worcester fly fishing show. Um, 
and uh, I was working the booth most of the time, but um, one one person, one celebrity, the, the only celebrity really that I, I met there, um, but it had a lasting sort of effect on me was meeting Bill Catherwood. Um, I don't know if you know, if, if you ever had a chance to spend time with Bill, I think he's one of the most overlooked, underrated, yet enormously influential fly tire, not just Northeast <laughs> saltwater fly tire, but just fly tire. Um, and uh, to this day, it, it, it saddens me that I never really had the opportunity to work with him like I was able to work with so many other great fly tires because his, his ability to, to blend materials and to, to use soft materials like marabou in combination with different colored bucktails, right? Like, like what you do a lot with your feather changers and stuff. He, he was doing a lot of those concepts of, of blending stiff and supple materials together, blending colors in a way that, you know, Kenny Abrams, Bob Popovics, even, even somebody like Jason Taylor um, yeah. now, uh, really in that, in that school. Um, and I think Bill Catherwood was, was, Maybe not the first person to do it, but but certainly well known for it. And his giant killer series of flies were just were just amazing. Um, but I was yeah. able to meet him at the show, and and um, you know just just things like that to get me excited about the fly fishing community it was really a important important early time in my in my life. Um, so then I, I I moved out to to Missoula. I guess you know Montana kind of captivates the, you know everybody's fly fishing imagination. Um, uh, we, I, I moved out with a, with a buddy of mine at the time. Um, we didn't pick Missoula necessarily. Missoula kind of picked us. We were, we were going to travel all over, go to Durango, go, go out to California, whatever, just kind of, um, settle, settle where we, where we, um, where we just felt the most comfortable. But once we got to Missoula, it just ended up staying. Um, it was a struggle for, you know, a couple months. This was before social media and all that stuff. So um, it was a struggle to find a job, but uh, eventually got a, got a great job at a, at a Bilo grocery store, um, which is actually, it was owned by an avid fly fisher and a, and a guide back then. And uh, um, just, just worked a regular nine to five. And then on the weekends or anytime free or in the evenings, of course, it's light out until 10 o'clock at night and, and Montana would, would go fish the Clark Fork and, and, um, just have a, a ton of great memories. And I guess we can, we can talk about all those, but, but that's kind of a, in a, in a nutshell that the early days, um, and, uh, yeah. Was it, was there a, was there a moment? there that kind of sealed it for you uh in the in fly fishing i mean was there a moment well i don't know it may it could have been alaska too right but but is there a moment that um that you've kind of thought about this and it's like you know i would love to do something somehow that that will keep me in this type of uh environment i mean is, was there ever a moment like i've got to figure out a way to make a living doing doing something in the outdoors uh, you know, I know there was for me for sure, but, um, I feel like sometimes there's like a, an aha moment that happens and you, you kind of start that path. Sometimes people just fall into things. It just happens. I'm just curious if, if uh, there was a moment in, in your life where you, you kind of felt like this was going to be a goal or if it's just something that just happened. Yeah. You know, the honest answer is, uh, it just happened. I got really lucky. Um, 
you know, I never saw myself as, you know, working in the fly fishing industry. I didn't understand how to, how to do that back then. I, um, I didn't even understand necessarily that there was a fly fishing industry. I, I, I didn't know about much of that. I didn't know about the fly fishing world. Um, really for me at the time, it was about the fishing and just getting and being out on the water, spent a lot of time just fishing. Um, and didn't really have a, I know when you grew up, for instance, you, you know, some of your most memorable times were watching fishing programs and, and all of that. I mean, we didn't have cable growing up, so I, I didn't get to watch, watch those shows. Um, I didn't, I, I just, I had a very myopic view and that was just, I loved to fish. And so we fished a lot. Um, you know, that changed of course, but, um, but basically I wanted to, I, you know, I, I bummed around Missoula for about a year before I realized that I needed to do something with my life instead of working, you know, three different jobs making, you know, minimum wage. Um, of course, it was, you know, back then, you know, our small group of friends, it was work hard, play hard mentality. And, and you know, it was a great it was a great time. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I did realize that I needed to do something. So um went, I applied to the University of Montana for their graduate program in, in literature. And um, my plan at the time was to to study literature at the at the U there and then uh, go on and become a professor. You know, I really wanted to to teach literature. After a couple of years of matriculating at the university, I, I kind of had a, a little crisis, maybe an existential crisis where I really started to question you know, the efficacy of all this academic stuff, like, you know, here, here we are, we're talking about, you know, symbolism and, and, and Ulysses, you know, or, you know, James Joyce's, you know, symbolism or, or something like that. And, and I, I really started to wonder, you know, what, what use is all this stuff, you know? Um, right. So, so I slow, I, I slowly, you know, and there were some other factors in there, um, but slowly started to kind of, change my my thought process about just becoming a becoming a professor at the time and and um also at the same time you know i i had a couple editing seminars professional editing seminars which really turned out to be some of the most practical courses that i've ever had um and got an internship at mountain press publishing in missoula um, a small publishing company that was best known for for guidebooks and a roadside geology series but they also published Interestingly enough, Gary Lafont one of Gary Lafontaine's first book, Challenge of the Trout. Um, mm -hmm. So, pretty important um, publishing company in Missoula, and and um, that was really the beginning of of my career working for a professional publisher, um, and 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 learning the ropes there, learning something practical. I could, I could, um, I could see how my academics could meet you know, uh, something that has a practical function. I can, I can help people express their ideas to a readership. And, and so I worked there for, um, for, for about a year doing, you know, as an internship, that was great. And then I got really lucky and got a job um, at Falcon Publishing in Helena, Montana, and moved out, out to Helena and worked there for about a year. My editorial director is a guy named Glenn Law, and I really owe a lot to Glenn. Glenn, um, for for many years, is, was the editor in chief of Saltwater Sportsman. He 
He's the editor of Marlin magazine, um, mm-hmm. all sorts of bona fides in the in the in the conventional fishing um, world. But but before he did all that, um, he was the editorial director at Falcon Press and and um, John Randolph, who is the editor, longtime editor of Fly Fisherman magazine. Was looking for was looking for a senior editor for at Fly Fisherman based out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and actually asked Glenn if he would be interested in the job. Um, and uh, it wasn't right for Glenn at the time for a number of reasons, but but Glenn said, that, "Well, I don't know exactly what he said to John, but he said, uh, but I got a guy who who you might be interested in." And so I I, it, I just got lucky, and and Glenn introduced me to John Randolph. Um, and then, you know, really for me, the rest was history, uh, going to work for, you know, and a lot happened in between there. We can talk about it if you, if you want, but, but yeah, going to yeah. work, for, going, going to work, going to work for Fly Fisherman Magazine. Um, I, I moved from Helena, Montana to, to, I relocated to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and, and going to work for Fly Fisherman Magazine was like getting a PhD in fly fishing. I mean, I, I look back. It just, it was like a light switch, you know, that's, that's the big time, you know. Um, but before that, I was, I was the guy in Cabela's neoprene waders and, and old fishing gear and just not cool, right? I, I didn't, I didn't know what was up. Um, and uh, it was like a, a flip being switched to go and, and work for Fly Fisherman Magazine. And, and, you know, I have a lot to say about that. But, um, but that really, you know, honestly, I guess just being in the right place and in the right time and um, being, uh, you know, having an open mind, I guess, and, and just, uh, just being lucky. And that's how I got really involved in the fly fishing industry um, and my, you know, what basically has been my career path, you know, for the last 20 years. Yeah, but, you know, I, I feel like you were exactly where you were supposed to be at the right time. You know, I mean, you could say luck, but I don't I don't believe that. I mean, I think you make your own luck and things fall into place because that was I think I feel like it was that was your purpose here to do this, you know, and, and you could too many coincidences that I found in my career um, to say it's just all luck. You know, I mean, I think there's a path that was, I was supposed to, to be on and that's where I'm at. And I feel the same about you. I mean, you're, you, uh, you're always staying behind the scenes, but you're really, from what I could tell and, and lefty always spoke highly of you about, about how, how you can really make every, everything that we're trying to put out there look and sound good and make us look like the star, but that's, that's really who you are. And, and that's a talent, man. So, um, you know, I think that was the best hire Randolph probably could ever make. And <laughs> you and I met, you and I met, uh, I don't know, probably not too long after you started working there. I would, I would think, cause, um, my career really started coming around, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, what year was it that you started working there? Uh, late, uh, I guess, fall of two thousand. Yep. Yep. Is that the year you went to Harker's Island? I'm you- sure that year we went. You know, that was a big deal back then. Um, yeah. And and just so I don't forget, uh, I want to say something about John uh, Randolph. Um, you know, uh, do you know John? Have you have you met yes. him? Yeah, yeah, I've met him several times. Never got to know him anywhere like you and I, but yeah, we met several times at shows and at at that that same event back in 2000. I mean, when that, that was the same event that I I think pretty sure I introduced the gummy minnow. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so John, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to say and there's, you know, John, John is a larger than life personality and, and, uh, Really, you know, he was at the helm of fly fishermen for for so long. Saw it, you know, move from Dorset, Vermont to to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, one great thing, you know, you know, being a, what it meant to be an editor at Fly Fisherman. You know, you're not sitting in a cubicle, um, just editing, you know, the words. I mean, for John, it was very important to get out there and, and if not become an expert at it, because, you know, that's not our job necessarily to become an expert anglers, but John wanted us to, to, to learn to fish from the, from the best. He wanted us to learn casting from lefty, learn knots from lefty. He wanted us to get good enough so that we were not experts, but that we had a pretty accurate bullshit meter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, when we're when we're working with with authors who you know might submit ideas and and um, you know, so he wanted to make sure that we you know learned how to use a camera, learned you know how to um, fly cast, learn how to do all this stuff that we were well traveled and and I'm forever grateful not just to John for that opportunity, but for that whole style of of employment you know i feel like a lot of editors these days not not to speak uh, you know whatever i just i just really appreciated the fact that that he it was so important for john to make sure that we got out there and so so you know going to these these gatherings and you know like harkers was so important for john john was a very social creature but also for us just to to meet guys like Tom Earnhardt, right, and Bob Popovics and and Lefty, um, and uh, you know some of those early years. I know it happened before two thousand, but some of those early years uh, were just magical. Um, you know, I remember we would stay for a couple of years at Tom's place, and and Jones Brothers would come in and have loaner boats for us all to use and stuff. It was it was pretty crazy time, man. I love that. Yeah, me too. I miss those times actually. Uh... Yeah, I, you know, they still have that party down there, but it's nothing like it used to be. Nothing is like it used to be. You know what I mean? It was it was almost like a fairy tale type of time, at, you know, time in my career. And, you know, I think we we it sounds like we kind of came along about the pretty close to the same time. You know, I started my shop around 95 or 96 and my career really started moving forward 98, 99. Um so it's it's kind of parallels, you know. I, I feel like, uh, and you know, it's funny that we didn't really cross paths too much. We'd see each other at shows and whatnot, and you know, I know you were you were busy with fly fishermen doing all kinds of cool stuff, stories. I'm sure you got to travel a lot, right? It, I'm sure you got to go to some pretty amazing spots. But um, yeah, yeah. But working with John and. Um, I think Ross, he he came along there too. Pretty not. I mean, he was there with you for a while too, wasn't he? Oh yeah. Well, so so you know, an important part of this is um, is uh, you know when I left Missoula, I I packed up my Subaru and was going to drive back to Harrisburg. Um, and uh, it was really important for John to uh, for me to stop by Fort Collins on my way back to Harrisburg. Fort Collins is where the virtual fly shop was was based out of the virtual fly shop um 
was a website that was started by Greg McDermott. Um, and, and then shortly after Ross Purnell came on board to work with Greg, but those guys were really at the forefront of fly fishing media, even as it is today, they, they started a, you know, basically a fly fishing website and it was, you know, the, the only fly fishing website that existed at the time. It was called the virtual fly shop. Yep. I remember and, that. Uh, do you? Yeah. And, I do, but I didn't so, know anything about that at all. I mean, it was like. You know, I'm just old enough to not get, I wasn't into computers or any of that stuff. Um, right. As I kind of getting out of high school and, and college, I just, it was starting to get there, but I just fishing and guiding and trying to start a fly shop, you know, right out of, you know, right out of co quitting college and starting a fly shop was, <laughs> that was my program. So computers never really came along and you know that, I mean, you've had to help me you still have to help me figure out how to get on the damn things. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. So, so the virtual fly shop was, was huge. Um, and again, you know, they have to get credit Ross and, and Greg and, and the crew there for really pioneering, um, you know, fly fishing in an, on an online platform. There was a very robust community of, of, fly tires and, and anglers that participated in the, back then there were bulletin boards, right? It was, you know, that's, you know, um, yep. and, uh, and really they were at the forefront of all that. And, and uh, uh, the parent company of fly fishermen ended up um, buying, buying them, you know, and so Ross and Greg were out in Fort Collins uh, and, and eventually they would move Ross back to, to Harrisburg. Uh, when I first met Ross, you know, in, in retrospect, I, I just, you know, Ross has become a, a dear friend and, and we've had, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of good times together over the years. When I first met Ross, though, it was like country bumpkin coming into the big city because here I am with my like, I don't know, like my neoprene waders and, and just, ah, ah, you know, orbits. Yep old, old, like Orvis vest, just like, just was not cool. And, and meeting Ross, who, you know, had a background, Ross was a guide, um, you know, in, in Calgary, I think, uh, for, for many years, Ross guided. And of course, being involved in the virtual fly shop, he was already in the fishing industry. Uh, so, you know, I don't know, I was very, I was very self-conscious at the time of how uncool I was, and I just didn't have all the right gear and stuff. But, but, you know, uh, Ross was so gracious. He, I don't think he, he, he made any even joking comments about it. And uh, he took me on my first drift boat trip down the Colorado River. We fished. It, the fishing was, was not great that, that day, I remember. But I had never been in a drift boat before. I was probably doing all those things that you're not supposed to do when you're fishing out of a boat, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, you know, I just remember in, in retrospect, you know, at the end of the day, it was just, it was a great, you know, it was a great, great way to, you know, to, to get to know Ross and, and, um, you know, he became a fast friend and, and I just really grateful that he, you know, he wasn't judgy or anything. I mean, we just had a, we had a really good time. Um, yeah. well, Ross and, is great. Uh, I mean, he's done nothing but help me in my career for sure. And for those that, that yeah. don't know who we're talking about, Ross is Ross Purnell, um, the editor in chief of fly fisherman magazine, um, who's doing a great job there. Um, um, someone I get to work with a couple times a year and um get to see and um he's definitely a, a great human being and um i know you guys have spent years and years together uh 
And I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want everybody to know who who were who this Ross guy was. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it. Um, uh, so yeah, we've had a lot of you know. So, so after Ross moved back to to Harrisburg, of course, we, you know, even before that, you know, we had all sorts of fun adventures and and travels. Uh, um, but you know, again, you know, a lot of my fondest memories, even even of of anybody, are are not the grand trips are always just, you know, those, those cool little things that you do close to home. Um, you know, it really is about the people, right. Or, and, and for me, it's about figuring things out yourself. Um, honestly, I mean, I, when I think about some of my fondest memories, you know, on, on a boat, even with you, it's thinking about, you know, how we kind of had to struggle through it and, and overcome and, and uh, <laughs> just that. <laughs> yeah. We've had plenty of those moments, but we always yeah. did. We always ended up making it happen. So yeah, they, they, I'm, I'm sure I, I, I guess I'm all over the place, but I, I um, but, but you had brought up Ross and, and uh, so, so yeah, we, you know, back, back then in the, in the early two thousands, um, you know, that fly fisherman crew was pretty amazing. It was a time in the magazine's history where, we had at one time three editors on staff. So, I mean, right now, Ross is, you know, Ross and Dennis uh, and, and Ben Hoffman are, are, you know, kind of a skeleton crew right now. They're doing an amazing job with, with the magazine. But it was they pretty are. fat back then. It, it was pretty fat back then, you know. Uh, a lot of editors on staff. And, and uh, we, you know, we'd all pal around and, and fish together. And, and uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a good time. It was a really good time in history. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't I'm think sure, I, I'm sure I you think, got to travel you know, though too, right? You got to travel quite a bit as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Quite yeah. a bit, quite a bit. Um, a lot of, a lot of cool things that I, I never would have ever get the chance to, you know, have exposure, um, whether it was getting to fish with Lonnie Waller, you know, on the Babine river, stay at the silver Hilton for, for a week, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, just, just stuff like that. It's just, you know, amazing, amazing memories. Um, but, uh, even more amazing are the people, you know, we're, we're really lucky in our sport. Um, you know, that a lot of our luminaries are, are very good at what they do, but, but more importantly than that, they're just, they're just awesome and inspiring people. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, definitely. Uh, and yeah, we've had several close friends, Lefty being the one that kind of brought us together. But uh, I want to save that for a moment. Um, I want I, let's so fast forward a little bit. I mean, this. I mean, we could talk for hours, and but uh, you know, I want to kind of do a broad overview of who you are and what you've done and all that kind of stuff. So I'd love to have you come back because there's so many stories that I find fascinating that I I would love to have you kind of step out and, and tell it. You know, I mean, we, <laughs> I, I do. I mean, it's it's important. I think it's important for the fly fishing history um, because I don't know that anybody's out there that's worked with the people that you've worked with. You know, so I think it's important to, for people to hear it. You know, I mean, hell, you could write a book later in your, you know, that hey, you want to write? <laughs> you should do that, Jay. Write a book about <laughs> things that you've got, you've seen, and done, and and the people you've worked with, and. I'm sure there's a lot of funny stories and frustrating things and, and all that. I know that with me, I know I was, I know I have been, we can talk about that in a minute too, but um, <laughs> let's, let's fast forward because you did become um, when, when 
Randolph uh, decided to retire, um, you you kind of took over, right? I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about that. And I don't know how long you did it for because I know you ended up going to work with Stackpole and and what you're doing now. But let's kind of move into that a little bit and. And we'll talk about some other cool stuff that I really want to get into. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so just to set the record record straight, um, I was hired uh, at Fly Fishman as a senior editor, um, for what that's worth. Um, and then after about a year, uh, became the managing editor, oftentimes just managing editor. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but uh, and and through that whole time, John was the editor and publisher of, of Fly Fisherman magazine. Uh, eventually, uh, I was never the editor per se uh, of, oh. of Fly Fisherman. I always worked under John. Um, when John retired, Ross became the editor of Fly Fisherman. Um, oh, but okay. I had, yep. But I had uh, moved on before then. Um, after working for the magazine for about three or four years, uh, and, and getting to know Judith Schnell at Stackpole Books, which is a, um, pretty storied book publisher in terms of fly fishing and outdoor publishing that that's also based in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, it was originally based in Harrisburg. Uh, was based in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, not too far away. Uh, got to know Judith and an editor that worked for Judith at the time, John Rounds. And um, they would from time to, well, John Rounds from time to time, he he was doing fly fishing books for Stackpole, would, you know, give a call, you know, from time to time, you know, if he needed something or, you know, had a question. And so we started to build a rapport. Um, and we'd even fished, he was, a, he was an avid angler, we would fish together a little bit. So we built up a relationship. And then eventually I started doing um, a few projects with Stackpole. One of the first projects that I did was to work with Bob Clouser um, to help Bob, to work with Bob as a photographer and kind of a, an editor uh, to work with Bob to do his first book on his fly patterns. It's called Clouser's Flies. Um, and then I did another book with Bob on smallmouth bass. Um, both books enormously important, I feel. hundred um, percent. You know, Bob's fly. Bob, yeah, Bob, you know, is uh, enormously influential. His flies are simple but effective. But again, his flies are just enormously influential, I think. Uh, so yep. I did a couple books working very closely with Bob, um, who's, who's a wonderful individual, and got to know him very well, as well as his wonderful family. Uh, they, they, uh, just really good people. Um, and yep. then I did a book and then I did a book that was similar to that with a fly tire out in Colorado, John Barr, John fly yep. tying legend, Copper John Barr merger. Right. You know? Yep. Um, yeah. I don't but, know that there's more popular nymph out there. I mean, I know back in the 2000s, early 2000s, it was the fly forever when yeah, I had with the I, last shop, you know, I mean, that was the one that everybody's always talking about. I mean, John definitely, not, he set the bar no, <laughs> on, yeah. on the, the nymph, right? So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what the current stats are, but at one point it was the best selling fly of all time for, for Umqua. Uh, and that's like more than a hare's ear and a pheasant tail. I mean, it's, you know, it was, it was, you know, the Copper John was enormously popular. I'm not sure what, 
you know what the fly is these days um but uh, but at the time you know it was it was the best selling fly of all time but got to got to do a book book length project with john and you know these were basically freelance projects um i worked on them with john randolph's blessing but right. in doing but in doing those projects something that really struck a chord with with me um was you know these magazine articles that we're doing for fly fishermen these are 2400 word 2700 word long articles and there is definitely an art form to taking an author's idea and making it work within a 2700 word 2800 word format but what i really started to enjoy immensely was was really doing a deep dive with with these authors that i worked with bob clauser John Barr, um, and, and kind of a long form, right? And and being able to get to know these guys and spend time with them and hours and hours on the phone or or hours and hours in person and just building those relationships and 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 working on larger projects. I, I found that for better or for worse, I guess I had a knack for um working with guys like Bob and and John and and people like you <laughs> yeah. so, so basically folks what he's trying to say he, he's really good at herding cats it's because the fly, <laughs> uh, us fly anglers and i'm gonna go ahead and say it i mean we're I'm, I'm all over the place i mean it's hard to get me to focus on on anything for very long um except when i'm designing flies and whatnot but it's i'm all over the place i mean it's like a conversation with me you my wife was like i'm not sure what we're talking about now and i know jay knows what that means but uh it is amazing. I mean, Jay, you definitely have a, a, a great ability to, when we're going back and forth on, you know, you give me questions to answer to help me really get out what I'm trying to say. Um, and and that, that's a, that's an art in itself. You know, it's because I really don't know. I mean, I have an idea what I want to say, but I really, you know, I'm going around the pole about 50 times. It's like a hamster in a wheel trying to get off of it to get to the point. And, and you, you're really good about, um, kind of giving that light bulb. It's like, this is really what you're trying to say, but you, you'll give me a question so I can answer it simply, you know? And, and that's, that's a big deal. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I didn't know John very well, but we met several times and talked on the phone and whatnot, but I do know Bob and I'm, I'm sure Bob's probably a little bit like me and, and I'm sure Popovic's uh, is a lot like me because he's so artistic and so talented and, and all and but he's a definitely a lot more organized person than i am that's part of my problem so <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah but, yeah uh, well you know you know uh, somebody like you uh, you know you are who you are you have you have that creative mojo and it's just because because of your unique brain chemistry you know <laughs> just or you know it's the way that you're the, it's the way that your synapses fire um and well, my uh, mama said i was special so you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of how it is i mean um I, and I, we've been around Dahlberg a lot i mean he's he's brilliant and um he's he's kind of all over the place as well so i i kind of take that as a, a a good thing you know um i was with peter jenkins this past weekend and just talking about ADHD and stuff like that. And he calls it a superpower. So sometimes, I mean, it, it could be look, looked at as a, uh, a disability, but it's actually, I think sometimes it might be something that's 
makes you unique in this world. <laughs> so it's, but for you, trying to hone that that and get get what you're trying to get out of it, it's got to. I mean, it, I mean, you've got the patience of Job. I mean, it's it, you definitely do. I know you do. I mean, you've you've been very patient with me over the years for sure. Not saying we haven't had our little moments of getting back, getting after it with each. Other. <laughs> it's that's that's why I love you though, man. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so I think, you know, I think a good editor, um, you know, there's some mechanics obviously that you got to go to school for or study for. Um, and there are, there are a lot of editors out there that, that, you know, know the Chicago manual style a lot better than, than I do. Um, but, you know, as I get along in this business, uh, and, and, you know, continue to, to look for ways to, to stay in the business and, and, and keep publishing interesting, interesting books that, that add to the fly fishing conversation. Right. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think a good editor is, is, is someone who is curious, uh, you know, someone who asks a lot of questions, um, and somebody who's always advocating for the reader. Right. And so like in, in working with someone like you, um, you know, I do have my own ideas about stuff because because I've gotten out and, and, you know, fished, fished in my lifetime and I have my thoughts and theories. But at the end of the day, those aren't important. Right. And so it's it's listening to to what what you have to add to the fly fishing conversation. But thinking about the reader's best interest, right? Like what does the reader want? What's going to serve the reader the best? And a lot of advice that I give for new authors who even if they're querying magazines is to always consider your audience. I think that's one of the things that a lot of a lot of um, writers don't do enough, especially if they're pitching ideas, right? And so when you're pitching an idea to a magazine, for instance, or to a book publisher, you have two audiences. Your first audience, you're, you know, you're a bit of a salesperson, right? You're trying to sell the editor on your idea um, or, or the book publisher on your idea. But you always have to have the, the reader as your audience as well. So really, you know, my position when I work with somebody like you, uh, for instance, is, you know, to try to get a gauge on, you know, the million ideas that you have going on uh, in your head. And then trying to work with you in a way so that we can serve the 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 what a what a reader needs and what a reader wants. So, so really, that's how I view view my role there. Um, and do what it and do what it takes to get the job done, but also always be an advocate for the reader. Um, and uh, you know that's that's been pretty good for me over the years. I would say with your background in history and working with so many iconic figures in the sport. I mean, I, I I would say, I mean, you just you you have such a wealth of knowledge that you've gained as well working with all these people, right? I mean, I, I mean, I, I would say that I don't know that there would be anybody that knew more about all the different intricacies of every avenue. I mean, from saltwater to trout to and everything in between. I mean, you've pretty much published just about everything out there, as far as I know. I mean. Um, Everything from just the latest cicada manuscript that's out there to, you know, working with Lefty and, you know, Lefty was very close to both of us and he kind of 
started us on this path, but I mean, and he was a wealth of knowledge and I mean, we could kind of talk a little bit about that. I'd love to, cause he meant so much to me and you, uh, for those of you that didn't know this, um, lefty, lefty invited my wife and I up to his house. Um, I don't know it's how many years ago now it's been, but so we, we show up there and lefty shows us around. He shows us, you know, his, his basement and he shows us his, his tying room and, and his, his basically writing room as well. And, you know, we're there for a couple hours and he says, oh, I just want to let you know, we're going to lunch, um, today. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's, you know, we, we had breakfast with him, but he brought us, he brought his own breakfast to the restaurant, you know, <laughs> how he was, man, his, his cereal and raisins and stuff. So, um, that's just how he, that's how lefty was. It's such, such a, it was funny. But we get to his house, he goes, and I just want to let you know, he's like, we're going to go to lunch with a guy named Jay Nichols, and you're going to leave lunch today with a book contract. <laughs> like, oh, really? He's like, I had no idea that was happening, but that, that's, you know, Lefty was so, such an amazing guy and um, just such a mentor and, you know, a friend to the industry himself. And when he, I guess, saw something in you, he, he pursued it and he never hesitated during the time that we got together and got me this going with you uh to always ask me how the book was going uh the funny thing was is he knew me better than i knew myself when because he looked at my wife when we were in his room and he goes i guarantee you blaine's room is a mess and you know how how and i was like how did you know that i mean she just started dying laughing and uh it, it left one of his things for me taken away from being with him that day was trying to figure out a way for me to get more organized because I would be so much more efficient doing that. Uh, and I think about that a lot, but uh, it, it, you know, I'm a lot more organized than I used to be, but it's still a mess. But, you know, we met, we'd met prior to that, but we hadn't spent a lot of time together. Um, but leaving that lunch, I mean, and having the, the, the chance of writing my first book was pretty special for me and having lefty be the one that, put us together i mean that that was a, a friendship we've had for i don't know 20 years now i would say pretty close to it so you know there's a million you know there's a million things to say about lefty he has had an enormous impact on so many people's lives everybody has not everybody but many many people have lefty stories many many people have you know the memories and and many people call lefty uh father figure, uh, mentor, you know, Lefty has just shaped so many people's lives. Um, Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a really important book. Uh, it's called The Tipping Point. Have you read that one, Blaine? I have not. Oh. Yeah, it, it, it's a cool book. Uh, you know, it's often bandied about in like business circles. Um, it, it's a book about how basically about how things happen um, and how ideas are spread or how a particular product goes from relative obscurity to all of a sudden becoming like viral, right? Like, uh, you know, it's just, just a really good book to read. But in, in that book, Gladwell talks about how there's three different types of people that can really make things happen. Uh, he talks about these people he calls mavens and mavens are the experts. Mavens are people who are Mavens are the people that are always chiming in 
like on Facebook or it used to be the bulletin boards or chat rooms or whatever, where these are the guys that know everything about any given thing, right? They're the people who are really into it. Those are mavens. And then, yep. you know, he talks about how, how there's salespeople. And those are the person that really have the gift of gab and they're, they're able to sell things. Right. Yep. So you have mavens and you, you have mavens and you have salespeople. But the third type of person that is absolutely critical for making things happen, the tipping point, right? How something goes from nothing to, you know, to something seemingly overnight is, is a type of person he calls a connector. And these connectors not only are, are the type of people who are able to put ideas together and introduce people and just have that real gift of putting things in, you know, of, of making the introductions, but they're also people who are able to move in different circles, right? Like they're, they're people who, uh, well, like Lefty, you know, he's a guy who, you know, grew up uh, in the ghetto during the depression, grew up in, in absolute poverty. Yep. Uh, and then within within 25 years or 30 years, by the time he was 30 years old, you know, he's getting invites from dukes and earls, you know, to pay him to to go fishing with him. Right. Yep. And so this is a guy this is a guy who one day can be fishing for carp. And then the next day be on the Alta River fishing for Atlantic salmon. Right. Yep. So so lefty lefty to me. And when I think fondly about my relationship with you, Blaine, you know, and, and it's just perfect lefty, you know, just putting that ability to put people together. And that's, you know, lefty was actually a maven and a salesperson. Yeah, that was good. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but more importantly, you know, for, for me, lefty's legacy, at least in my mind, I mean, I, you know, is, is that of being a connector, um, you know, just that ability to, to, um, uh, you know, he's a people person and just to be able to put the right combinations together to make things happen. And, and when I think about my relationship with you in vis-a-vis -vis lefty, I mean, that's really what I, what I think about. Um, yeah. and, and I agree, you know, I mean, more valuable for me than, well, I can't spend time with lefty anymore, but, but, but we can still hang out together. And I, and I do cherish my, my, my time with you and I cherish those memories and I, I cherish the times that we get together and, kind of kind of uh we can we can feel reinvigorated from time to time thinking of lefty spirit and all that so so i'm really grateful for all yep and, and that's kind of why we're gonna kind of embark on this new project i don't know if we can talk about it or not but um you know telling a little bit more about him with people like flip and and clouser and people that were close to him and just you know with fly fishermen again all those connections and here putting this together too is wanting to get Cody in on it. Who's putting us on this, this show to, together, making sure that this goes smoothly for us. And, you know, it, it is, it's, it's kind of how this, it's like branches of a tree, you know what I mean? Or the roots. So it's all kind of intertwined and um, it, it, it is, it is special. And that's what makes the fishing fly fishing um, family. We're all connected really. I mean, truly are. And, I do know, I mean, not only you're a great editor, but you're also an amazing photographer. And I know Lefty had a lot of influence on that. I mean, can you tell a quick story on that? Um, I, I would, you know, just talking right now. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about today that would be super interesting stories and whatnot. And 
And uh, there's so many questions I have today, but you know, I don't want to make this a three hour long uh, podcast. So I'd love to have you back if you would have me. Um, so, uh, but I do want to kind of want to talk a little bit about your photography because I think, I mean, you know, your photography is amazing. It truly is. And um, I'm going to be bugging the hell out of you here in the next couple months on learning more about it. So I don't have to bug you all the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so a couple things to say about that. Um, you know, uh, when I was living in, in my, just to put things into context, when I was living in Montana and fishing, I probably only have half a dozen photographs documenting that whole time period. Uh, we didn't have phones in our pockets like we do today and taking pictures of fish, taking pictures of me fishing uh, was not important. It was not something that we uh, thought about at all. And it wasn't until it wasn't until I, I came to work at Fly Fisherman. Uh, we were still still shooting slides back then, um, you know, with a real camera. Um, and it was, you know, about a year after I, I got to fly fisherman digital cameras, you know, I remember getting a, a early on version of a digital camera, but still we were shooting slides and, and John Randolph was, was adamant about learning, uh, was, was having us editors also learn to take pictures, um, and would, um, it was mandatory that we spend time in lefty and do all lefties, you know, go through the lefty crave, like, you know, a photography school. Um, yep. And I'm enormously grateful for all of that. But, you know, what's interesting, you know, just getting back to lefty real quick, um, you know, the reason lefty was re really able to break through in the outdoor writing back when he was working for, he was, he was writing a column for the Baltimore sun Um I believe it was, uh, and um, he soon he realized almost immediately that he had a much better chance of selling a story if he also had pictures to go along with it. That just submitting a story was not was not quite enough, but to really be able to write the story with the photos and that combination made it a hundred times easier for the editor to say yes. And he found that that was the key to the kingdom in, in getting consistently published. And, you know, he, he taught us that early on, and it's a piece of advice that I pass on to, to, uh, to writers as well. I mean, you know, uh, when you submit a complete package, to fly fishermen, your chances of it getting published are so much greater than if the editor has to go find good photos and stuff. So, so learning to take pictures, um, when I was learning all about all of this business, was as important as learning learning to cast well, learning to write. It was also learning to take take the you know take the photos. And so, you know, John Randolph made sure that we spent a lot of time with people like Lefty. Barry and Kathy back, um, learning as many photo tips as we as as we could. And again, that's that advice that Lefty passed on to me very early on about writing and also learning to take pictures to be able to submit a complete package. I also pass on to to people looking to get into the fly fishing writing space. I mean, it's just really important to be able to do do both. But now, of course, it's a lot easier, right? Because because iPhones and and stuff. Um, yep. you know, are so good, but, um, 
but yeah, that was uh, so. So once I once I got to fly fisherman, um, really learned to up the photography game, and then of course, doing a lot of fly fly tying books and stuff. I learned all about the studio lighting and everything, um, and uh, really became a passion of mine. Um, you know, it's 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 when I'm behind the camera whether that's shooting stills or video, that's when I really lose myself. I, I, I lose a sense of time. Um, and, and, and that's about the closest I've ever gotten to being in a, in a flow state, you know? Uh, so, so I really enjoy it and, and, uh, you know, wish I could, wish I could do more of it. Yeah. Well, we've been in that flow state many times. I mean, working 15, 18 hour days, uh, Oh yeah. Tie a step, you take a photo, tie a step, you take a photo. I mean, we've, we've, we've done that. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that, that's, that's stamina there. That's all that is. And then, and then that's stamina and then making sure people like you, your brain doesn't explode, you know, cause, cause what a lot of people don't understand is the pressure of those long hours. Um, and, and just, just, you know, how that can take an emotional toll not so much on me, um, but that kind of stuff on, on you, you know, the talent. Um, I've, I've seen guys just um, have nervous breakdowns doing it, you know, uh, and, and just, it just requires, it, it requires a lot of stamina, both physical and, and mental to, to sit for those long hours and, and, and tie those flies the way that you need to do, you know? Um, so, so kudos to you. I could not do that. I could not do what you guys do. Ah, I don't know, man. I don't, I couldn't do it. <laughs> like once we, you get our, all of our mess, you got to make it sound right. That, that to me would be the, <laughs> I can do the tying. I just, there's no way that I could look at someone's manuscript and try to make sense of it, especially mine. So <laughs> I greatly appreciate yeah. that. Dude. I mean, it's been yeah. fun. Yeah. You know, it's been fun. I mean, you learned, you learned, like I said earlier, uh, part of your job is trying to herd cats, especially in that, the, in the field that you were in, I, I would, I don't, I wouldn't think I'm a minority. Um, and I might be, I could be making myself feel better, but I would think that, um, a lot of the people in the outdoor industry are probably a little bit like me. I mean, I would, I would consider us more free spirits and, you know, um, sitting down and writing something or, or, or to me, what I would think would be a challenge for a lot of people. Uh, am I right or wrong in that? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, a lot of the people in the outdoor industry are there because they're passionate about uh, not just, well, they're passionate about a certain type of lifestyle, I think, right? You know, um, they they could probably, many of them could be enormously successful if they were out in working in another field. But we all, we're all right. kind of a cast of, a ragtag cast of, misfits and, and outcasts and people who really have a certain set of values. Yeah. Right. We have a, we, we have a like set of values. We value, we value experiences. We value a certain amount of freedom. We value the out of doors. Um, and, 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 and those types of values sort of attract free spirits. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and people who, and, and, and people who think, and, and, and people who aren't just sheep, right? And and who have uh, you know unorthodox ways of thinking. So so one of one of the greatest gifts that I've been given is to work with with so many people 
Um, you know, there, there's only going to be one of you, Blaine, but but there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, that are similar in terms of of of, of what we value. Um, and and um, you know, so it's been a real blessing to be able to work with those types of of people. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do the same thing in in corporate America, right? Yeah. Or working for an insurance company. Sure. Yeah. So 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 what's kept me going and excited and perpetually curious um has been working with people like like you guys man i mean i i hate it sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no i, I guarantee it <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure it's mutual I, both of us like ready to kill each other so it's like damn it yeah <laughs> it's like yeah 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 but i but I, I i i wouldn't trade it for the world you know it's been it's been a ride yeah me either i agree man um i don't I, I would like to really sit down and talk more about, you know, um, projects that you're looking forward to doing. Um, I, I would love to pick your brain about, you know, your feelings about the challenges of books in, in this, this age of computers and social media and, you know, the AI stuff and whatnot. Um, Cause I think that would be fascinating, but I, I, I would like to save that maybe for another, um, time that you you could come on if you would uh be willing to do that um because I, f- I feel like you'd have a really interesting perspective on magazines and the challenges they have and book co- you know publishing companies and the challenges that, that they have moving forward with with the things i just said um and i would love to hear more stories you know i mean because you've worked we didn't even talk about half the people you've worked with and I'm, i would like to hear some pretty cool stories that you've experienced working with these people. So um, would you be willing to come back sometime? Maybe not here, you know, maybe in a month or a couple months, maybe next year, <laughs> if you're willing to do it again. Yeah, I'd love to, you know, it's, it, like I said, it, it's it's fun, um, you know, sitting down with you and just, just chatting. I mean, part of the problem is, you know, we, <laughs> we have so much history together, you know, and, and uh, there's, there's, there's a ton of stuff to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about, or at least what I can contribute to a discussion about about books and media. I mean, we're in a really interesting time right now with with um, you know how the different ways in which people consume their information. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the the fly fishing demographic is really interesting because, gratefully, we have. Um, younger people coming coming up through through the ranks that are still you know really interested in the sport and that's good that's really important to make sure that we have new people coming into the sport and and they like to get their information one way and then of course you know we have a, a very key demographic in fly fishing are are still folks that are over 40 right over 50 yep um and 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 those people um, you know, they, they consume their media in, in many different ways. They, they, you know, they still, they, they remember and love magazines. They grew up reading books. They grew up reading books like, like you and I grew up, we, you know, reading books as part of our, that's how we got our information. And so, so a lot of times I feel like we're selling our books and publishing our books for those guys, but, um, guys and gals, but, but I've made a concentrated effort to, to continue to try and, and recruit younger authors um and really be on the hunt always for for young talent um that are interested in writing books because because i think that um while you can still get a lot of you know great information online 
the problem is it's not all necessarily filtered. Um, and, and that is one of the jobs of a, of an editor is to kind of, you know, sift through a lot of this stuff that might not be great information before you put it out there. Yeah. Whereas these days, these days there's just so much information out there and there's a lot of great information out there, but, but there's also a lot of bad information out there too, right? Online. So, um, and then, and then the other thing I'd love to talk to you about, about sometime, especially you as a fly designer. Um, and I know it's an issue near and dear to your heart, but, but I, you know, it's just an interesting, interesting thing, you know, as we're in this business longer, um, you know, a lot of times it's said that there really aren't any new ideas, right? They're just sort of different reiterations and permutations of these basic concepts. And, and, you know, I constantly marvel at, at, at how, if, if you are a fly designer today, how you cannot be a, be a student of what has gone before you just to, just to know who has gone before you. And I, I feel like, you know, I would really like to see more people kind of bone up on their history, I guess would be a nice way of putting it, because I see a lot of people, you know, basically coming out with with something and they might feel that sense of pride and accomplishment. They might think it's, you know, they might think it's their idea, but but, you know, uh, many have gone before them, perhaps that have come out with, okay. with similar ideas, you know, and so I do think that there still is a place for, you know, for all those old books and stuff. Um, and, and what I do like about even publishing books today is that you can, you can have the space to do your deep dive and do your homework and provide proper attribution. You know, I know in your, in your book, you, you were very careful to talk about those who have come before you and, and where a lot of your ideas come from. And, and in a book, you have the space to do that, but, but maybe you don't have the space to do that in an Instagram post. You know what I mean? Right. So, so I just think it's, you know, it's just, it's something that, that I, I feel is important. Yeah. Um, and I do feel that the history is, is important um, because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people today would be surprised at how, how many, uh, how many ideas have, have, you know, how ideas are repeated or, or how many people have tied the same fly that maybe they're, they're tying today. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Jay. It, it is important, very important to tell that story of those that came before us. Uh, I mean, it, it does. Things can get washed out. And I know Popovics is very, um, I guess, uh, concerned about making sure uh, things are documented and, and, and people that came prior to people I don't even know about, you know, that I always I'm always careful to make sure I do enough um investigating before I do anything or any comments and I you know I could be wrong about a lot of stuff I mean I'm not definitely an expert on history but I try to be um respectful as much as I can and and I'm sure most people are that way um it's it's the things that you see on the internet that's it's easy to have a platform you're right and and not really care I mean just just by changing a color or changing a dubbing or changing whatever um, doesn't make it a new fly, right? It, it just is, it's a, a variation of, of a, a platform, you know, and, and, you know, I think that's the thing that I think some people that may not be in the industry for very long, don't quite understand. Right. And just some, sometimes it just means they need to be educated by it a little bit. Right. And, but I think that's where writing and, um, 
you know, books and whatnot and these podcasts and stuff like that are that's why they're there is to have it there forever. And um, it's important. And I know you feel that way, right? I do. I think I think any creator, um, any creator, you know, has uh, a responsibility to understand the lineage of of in the origin of their ideas and to to question where where they came from and um, to be curious about that and to you know to share make sure that you share that with readers and you do you do the homework i think that's a responsibility that any creator has i mean i a lot of times it's not you know thunder and lightning and then all of a sudden you have this idea like this epiphany i know even even you with your extremely innovative game changer platform had a very long um experimentation period where you were experimenting with all sorts of ideas and, and, and were influenced heavily by all sorts of things, whether that's, you know, different anglers, different fly tires, different types of fishing, right? Like it oh, just yeah. doesn't occur. It does not occur in a vacuum, right? <laughs> no. no, it doesn't. I mean, it, it's that Dahlberg uh, not looking through keyholes, you know, you gotta, you know, that's important to open the door and walk through it and and see what's out there you know that's uh doing the costa hashtag but it's true i mean all that i mean i've taken a lot of my designs from inspiration from a lot of different stuff like the the crawl changer was definitely inspired by dave whitlock's near enough crayfish and i just add that added the uh the uh game changer platform to that and added a little bit of foam that i know i'm not the first person to do that um but it was something that I wanted to to do a certain thing. But um, I'm definitely in whoever had did the first phone clause or whatever. Um, you know, I don't know who you are, but um, definitely, I'm, I guarantee I'm not the first one to do that. Um, but it, it served a purpose for the design that I had in mind, right? So, um, so those are those things. You know what I mean? So it's not like I'm trying to claim all these different things at all. It's it's more about. Uh, more than happy to give credit where it's due, for sure. Well, you know, you, you know, people say that there, you, you know, there might not be any new ideas, right? But, but what you can, what you can always have are are new combinations of things, right? That that's kind of how that that's how that, that is the new idea, right? Is is just combining is is combining things in in a creative way. Um, and, and that's also a creative act, um, that is also 100% creative, um, and ingenious, but in so doing, you need to give credit to where you're drawing your inspirations from. And, and so I think, I think that's what makes old media still relevant, old media, books, magazine articles, because, you know, at least for now, the editors, the Ross Purnell's of the world value that still. And so they'll challenge you as a writer to do that homework and they value readers enough, like I was saying earlier, to ensure that you explain all that stuff so that you can contextualize your ideas. But I absolutely think that fresh combinations are innovative ideas. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's, it is, I mean, it's like you said, it's, it's hard to really create something new, but it is building on, especially 
as Papa Fix said it the best, um, a great, you know, a great design usually comes from problem solving. And as long as it is, um, it's just not another fly to just have have out there as long as it's truly creating an answer to a, a problem or a solution to that problem. I mean, it's important. I mean, that's another side of it. I mean, just I've always said adding materials to a fly um, to me, it just doesn't make sense unless it serves a, a, a purpose, right? Um, you know, that's a, that's another important thing. But we could get we could go down that rabbit hole um, and talk about that. And I'm sure you have a lot of insight because you've worked with so many authors, um, and that's that's why I want to have you back. Um, but you know, I think we're going on an hour and a half or so of this, and I want to I want to wrap it up here. But Jay, I'm, you know, your dear friend and. Uh, someone I look up to, and I can't thank you enough for being here today. And uh, hopefully, you'll come back so we can finish this conversation and talk about some of the things that I really want to talk about. Um, and I know you've got a you've got a long ride ahead of you and a, a fun fun time tomorrow um, at the show. And I'm sure you'll have a good time tonight with everybody. And you'll have to tell Ross and everyone at the show that I miss them and um, hope to see them soon. You know, so. I uh, will do. Uh, you know, I, I will say that you're 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 also a constant source of inspiration for me. Um, you know, I, I wish I had even an ounce of your your creative talents. And um, you know, I know that as you embark on your new ventures, you're going to be enormously successful. Um, primarily because you're just following what you think is your path, and you're staying true to yourself. Um, and uh, you know, I, I admire and I value that. And uh, more importantly, I'm looking forward to hanging out here at the end of March. It's going to be good to uh, spend some time on the water with you, buddy. Yep, yeah, no, for sure. And we're going to have a lot of fun because we're going to go see Cody and and uh, have him show us some giant jacks where I can, where you and I can have a big time and um, tell their story a little bit. I mean, you know, uh, forever jacks were always looked at as being trash fish and something that we don't want to target. But uh, we, I think, um, Yaku has kind of helped bring jacks more to a, uh the forefront and I, I look forward to telling their story a little bit so if you don't mind um tell ross a little bit about that to on our on your ride up because i think it, that there's a really good opportunity to kind of tell that story a little bit more especially down there with cody yeah man i think all fish matter <laughs> definitely oh yeah for sure <laughs> I, I i love fishing for you know i mean i i have a hoop fishing for uh you know whether it's carp or fall fish or you know whatever i'm i'm just i'm just grateful that we could still go out and 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 uh you know fish for these things you know and 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 the stranger the better for me i you know i i i just you know i think every fish species and and i hope someday we can talk about our adventures with bowfin and snakehead and all that but you know i think uh every fish species uh, has has its own interesting challenges so so uh, looking forward to doing the jacks with you <laughs> yeah buddy oh we'll have fun that's for sure and we'll definitely be riding the struggle bus and i'll be driving it so, <laughs> but uh I, I really thank you for taking the time out today to, to spend some time with us telling your story it is an amazing story and you still got a lot more to share and um i want to just say thanks again and um drive safe on your way up there to, to Edison today and um, look forward to having you back here shortly. <laughs> <laughs>